0: Mark Ollie, I want to return to the story you were telling before we went into the break about these characters who showed up at the door of your friend asking can they get their materials back. So these are men in black in the classical sense of uh, strange, slightly off-kilter humans, or these are government folks? What do you think?
1: Well, Gary Gary was the one that came face-to-face with them. Um, He, I think, was of the opinion that they are something to do with the military or the air force, but clearly a separate department of that, because um, Irwell noticed them as well on the farm when the cleanup operation was taking place. Irwell said we had, you know, uniformed police officers, we had uniform RAF um, personnel and RAF officers. And then he said, and we had these people dressed in plain clothes that were ordering people around. Um, and then again, these people turn up, you know, um, at Gary's place. Um, and, and Gary himself said, he said, well, it's a bit strange because they must have known what was going on. They must have known that someone was poking around the crash site because otherwise they wouldn't have removed the forest. The timing of that was a little bit suspicious. Um, and then they turn up at his front door. So clearly they knew where he lived, they knew who he was. They knew that he recovered the debris. Uh, now, it, Gary's a fairly you know, outgoing public character anyway. He was a public speaker and very well known in the UFO community. So it wouldn't be difficult to find out where he was. But nevertheless, they still found out where he was. So clearly these are people with access to research materials, uh, anything to do with, you know, observational uh, site information. um, You know, uh, they're, they're obviously part of... Uh, I would say, an invisible government department of some kind. That's It's an extension. It's an arm. It's an add-on of, of the military, I would think. Uh, I think Gary would probably agree with that. Uh, the idea that they're aliens, you know, um, I'm not sure. I don't think I would go that far. Uh, they certainly creeped Gary out. They were extremely creepy characters, um, you know, but uh, more in the tradition of the movies, men in black, I would think, right. rather than...
0: <laughs> so when he tells them... yeah. When when he tells them to buzz off, you can't have your material. How did they react? And did they come back?
1: No, no, Gary was quite surprised. He said they were um, literally, he said once he'd said that, once he'd said that he distributed the material, they just, you know, put the glasses back on and, you know, tipped the hats to him and just walked off. That was it. There wasn't anything else they could do. You know, it was beyond their capabilities to try and get, I think there was nearly, nearly a hundred key rings and he distributed them all over the country. So, they didn't have any chance of ever getting all of that material back, which seemed to be their aim. Their aim was to recover, you know, everything that, that had been lost, as it were. Um, and clearly that was no longer a possibility. So at that point, they just they just went. Um, I think over the years, though, Gary, I think, has been aware that he's probably still being watched. You know, I think they monitor uh, what goes on in that area quite closely.
0: I guess I'm going to have to fly to the U.K. and see if I can get one of those those uh, rings, if there's still any left around. Uh, could, could you tell me, did the farmer ever indicate to you or Gary uh, what the largest pieces of debris, uh, what they might have looked like? I'm just wondering, was it all just small pieces, or were there some big ones?
1: Uh, no, no, there were some really big pieces. This this is what really did it, I think, in the original crash. Um, some of these pieces were two metres. There were, they were huge sheets of this stuff, all of it slightly curved, slightly convex. Um, and the biggest pieces that the farmer described, he said, are the ones that are coated with this kind of rubbery hexagonal material. Um, now we know that that is, in fact, the lanthium, the lanthanum. So most of the debris, the majority of the debris, is made up of the number one most expensive material on the site. So like, there's a ton of it. It's more than anybody's ever seen, you know, you know, in, in anybody's lifetime. There's an enormous the, the amount of it. But the newspaper report that came out, they, they described, there was somebody said there was like a girder with some writing on it and something that looked like an aerial. Uh, but then Irwell wasn't the source of the original newspaper article because when we spoke to him, he said, well, I do remember a few other bits of different shaped debris. He said, but that information hasn't come from me. So there is a mystery there as well as to where that original newspaper article came from. Uh, Andrew Chapman, who wrote it, who keeps all of his notebooks as a journalist, he went back for us and he checked uh, his own journals for the Sunday Express. And he said, you know, he said, and usually I make a note where this information comes from, he said, but I've got no idea. He said, I think we came back after the New Year break which would have made it round about the 3rd or 4th or 5th of January, uh, and somebody just passed me the story to write up. So there's a mystery there. We don't really know where that original newspaper article came from either. Um, So that does, like I say, adds more mystery to it because it includes debris that nobody else remembers. I'm thinking it maybe came from the police or somebody in the crash recovery team um, who decided they were going to speak to somebody and, and the news got out. Uh, But it never got further than that one article.
0: What's been the reaction from UFO communities uh, and UFO organizations, first in Britain and then here in the U.S. as well?
1: I've got to say it's been incredibly positive. Um, There hasn't been a negative reaction. Uh, The information we've received recently, we've been fed a lot of new information from people who have ideas as to what it might be and where it might have come from. Uh, I have to say universally up to now we have drawn a blank. Uh, but we are getting closer, we think, to uh, being able to solve this perhaps as a mystery. Uh, if you can actually call it solving it, I mean, it's a bit of a rabbit hole, really, we've fallen into. We thought doing the analysis would just put this thing to bed, you know. Somebody would send us the information back and go, oh, yeah, it's part of a jet fighter, you know. Uh, well, it's not that simple. This is not just part of a jet fighter. Clearly not. It's it's beyond way beyond that. Uh, but we do seem to be getting closer to some kind of resolution. Um, and putting the pieces together, we can see how this material was used in terms of the craft that it came off, uh, in terms of, you know, how it performs, how it functions. So we're sort of getting there. I don't, I don't think we'll actually have a complete definitive answer unless somebody from the military comes out and goes, oh, yeah, that's, you know, such and such a vehicle that we were test flying back then. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. So we've had a good response. We've had a very, very good response um, from both America and the UK and elsewhere. You know, um, I think the only the only thing I was disappointed in really was the Australian analysis, because I, I didn't feel that that went far enough. Um, but then the American analysis was outstanding. You know, we the results we got back from there were, were just incredible uh, that actually gives a percentage breakdown, uh, which appears in the book, um, of what other substances were melded onto this lanthanum. Uh, that really gets the ball rolling. That gets us a huge step further forward, you know. Uh, but we are still are at the end of the road, not by a long
0: shot. Sure. Uh, you know, one of the things you mentioned, there's a picture, a side view of this material, and then a quote from a MUFON lab, a chief analyst, Lynn Mann, of the MUFON laboratory, yep. who says... Is referencing this lanthanum has some sort of wave distortion property? Do you know much about that?
1: Well, yeah. Um, we obviously assume that because it's you know metallic material, we obviously assume that the whole thing was just inert and it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't cause any effects. Uh, but like I say, from that particular analysis, um, you know, she quite clearly shows a photograph which we put in the book um, of. Wave distortion. So if you, if you try and photograph, you know, lanthanum, lanthanum, this material, and you try and do anything with it, it kind of kicks back. Not only does it physically push back, but it also interferes with uh, anything that you bombard it with. Um, which then, you know, in a sort of mundane way, it points towards it maybe being some form of you know stealth uh, technology or some way of you know making this this uh, vehicle invisible. But again, it doesn't get you any further down the rabbit hole because we know we know we've got you know man-made stealth material. We know that exists, but then these unidentified flying objects seem to have stealth capabilities as well. So you, you, you're still not sort of moving any further. But that, like I say, that was interesting. They really did push the boat out with trying to sort this material out and identifying exactly what it was, and they came up with some very surprising results. Um, and that interference is one of them.
0: Yeah, it's that. That's very strange. There's a lot of people on the phones that want to uh, comment and and ask questions. So we're going to go to a couple of calls now. Uh, Wildcard line, Carson in Missouri. You're on with Mark Ollie. Hi, Carson. Okay. Hello? Yeah, Carson. Hi, you. Uh, you're on the air with Mark Ollie.
2: Oh yeah. Sorry about that. So Mike. My- First question was: I was wondering, why does there seem to be a heightened amount of UFO activity in the desert?
1: Oh,
0: Yeah, I'm not, question. I'm not, I'm not sure that that's a question Mark could answer. I'm, and I'm not sure it's even true. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of military bases in the desert, at least here in the American Southwest. Uh, what desert are you talking about? Uh, it just seems like, like uh,
2: Area 51, for example, or like the the uh, Roswell crash, etc. I,
1: like I, I, I might be able to furnish an answer. Uh, sure. I might be able to give an answer in the sense that most of the activity we're talking about now is in the least habited part of the UK. Um, so clearly, there is a focus on areas where you know there aren't people around all the time. Uh, obviously, the oceans as well. There's been this huge uh, upsurge in. Things coming up out of the ocean. So I just think it's, you know, whoever it is or whatever it is that's behind these things is trying to avoid human contact. I think that's, that's the answer to the question.
0: That would make sense that the military would operate in that way if they're testing some new and advanced uh, secretive uh, projects or platforms or planes. They wouldn't want a lot of people to see it, which is one of the reasons they picked Area 51 uh, as the location for a base in the first place. Carson, did yeah. you have another question?
2: Yeah, so my other question was about crop circles, and do you think that they could be, like, maybe trying to portray a some kind of message or something to humans?
0: Mark, have you ever uh, jumped into crop circles?
1: Absolutely. I appeared on Ancient Aliens Season 19, actually, on the episode to do with crop circles, because that's another one of my interests. So hats off to the questioner for spotting that one. Um Some of the crop circles are clearly man-made. There's no argument about that. You know, they're they're advertising all sorts of stuff and the designs are quite clearly, you know, human. But it's like everything else. You get this mixture of uh, sort of real and copies. Uh, And you've got to say, well, the man-made ones are clearly copies because some of the others, some of the other crop circles are just beyond our ability to produce they appear in very short time frames over huge areas, and they 're vastly complicated um, and There is actually video footage which is in that episode of Ancient Aliens, where you can see these little balls of light whizzing round uh, a, a field full of you know crops in Wiltshire, and next minute you see these crops drop uh, and it reduces the design so clearly there is a direct connection there, and uh, that 's not us that are doing that that 's you know clearly not us. So I hope that answers the question.
0: Thanks, Carson. Appreciate it. I I, I went over to UK uh, some years ago and to look into the crop circles, and you know you can see that some of them are made by people with boards smashing down these um, nodules, but some of them uh, are, are not made in that way. We don't know exactly how they get the plants to bend over. Uh, sometimes indications of high heat are are used, right? Yeah
1: yeah absolutely um that's the simplest way of doing it. If you've got scratch damage and snapped um you know snapped stalks and footprints and things like that then it's usually it's the you know bill and said with the board you know that's usually what you're dealing with but if you get the real thing, the actual nodes the actual joints in the grain seem to have been artificially bent. They seem to be somehow, like you say, either heat or genetics or whatever has changed, and that goes in the direction of the design. So it's an easy way, if you like, a rule of thumb of telling whether you're dealing with something that's uh, essentially genuine or fake. Um, yeah,
0: I've always been interested, too, in what drives some people to make them. You know, there are hoaxsters, those two barflies who claim credit for making them all years ago. Uh, that, that It was ridiculous to suggest that they could be responsible for all that had been produced by that point. But some people go out, uh, they want to be tricksters uh, and play jokes. Others are, are compelled to do this, and they're not exactly sure why.
1: Yeah. um, It goes right across the spectrum. Uh, At the height of the crop circle crazes in the 1990s, I think some people were doing them, you know, for commercial gain or for, you know, notoriety or whatever. But then, I mean, I always think of the famous one. I think there's 96 circles in it, and it's a huge spiral. And it appeared within 20 minutes in a field next to Stonehenge when, when the monument was open to the public. Uh, and nobody saw this thing. It's like we one party goes around Stonehenge and the field's normal. The next party comes around, like, 15, 20 minutes later, and there's this huge, massive design in the middle of the field. Uh, so clearly that's not two guys with a board. You know, that's impossible. It can't be done. Um, so I, I don't know really it 's like everything I think that is a mystery that is truly mysterious. People just want to dive in there and sort of buy into it, which annoys the hell out of people who are trying to professionally decode these things because sometimes you just can 't see the wood for the trees. you know we, we it makes it so much harder to decide um, of course, there's the famous one as well as the alien. Face with the circle next to it, and it's yeah. in binary, and, and the message says, you know, sort you sort your act out, or you're going to screw the planet up. And if you actually throw that into negative, there's stars in the background. It's it's um it's done in half tone pixels. That's not us. <laughs> I don't know anybody <laughs> that could do that. You know, right?
0: Uh, Bill in Los Angeles. Hey, Bill, how you doing?
3: George. Hey, George and Mark. Hey, uh, by the way, there's an 83-year-old drummer from Liverpool named Ringo on the latest uh, edition of AARP magazine, and he looks about 50.
0: Yeah, I know. It 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 yeah. infuriates me.
1: Yeah. yeah it, it does me, too, as well, because uh, I'm only 61, and I look about 102. <laughs> <laughs> He attributes it to to eating broccoli,
3: and it's ironic. There's also a photo of Keith Richards on the last page of that edition, and if you juxtapose them, you can tell which guy does not eat broccoli. (laughs) Mark, I was going to ask you, how are the British media treating this case that you've been talking about from, uh, I think you said, 1983 uh, in light of all the stuff that's happened uh, that George mentioned with the New York Times in uh, uh, 2017, like, are they taking a, a heart of uh, a, a clearer look at this and a more serious look than they used to? And were any were any of the crash area witnesses intimidated by any any of these government authorities about speaking out the way they were allegedly at uh, Trinity and Roswell here in the States?
0: Thanks, okay. Bill, for those questions. And, Mark, we, we got like a, about a minute. And if we, you can't answer it in that time, okay. we'll do it on the other side. But thanks, Bill.
1: Uh, yeah, okay. Um, uh, briefly, nobody was intimidated, uh, so that's good. That answers that one. And um, the media seem to be doing okay. So, yeah, can, can we pick that up after the break? that's about the media?
0: Yeah. I, in yeah. general, though, it seems like the mainstream British press has been as standoffish traditionally, historically, and whereas the tabloid press, of course, have given it a lot of coverage.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's... Um, yeah, broadly speaking, that's true. Um, one particular, the Sun newspaper over here, which normally has ice cream vans parked in the North Pole and things like that, very much like the Inquirer, uh, they, they've taken it very seriously. They did a wonderful little video piece.
0: All right. I'll tell you what, we're going to uh, take a break. Bill, if you want to hang on, we'll uh, we'll wait and answer more of, of this on the other side. Talking with Mark Ollie, uh, Bill in Los Angeles. Are you still there? Yeah. Great. Uh, so, Mark, you were going to tackle the questions that Bill had asked.
1: Uh, Yeah, um, it was the idea that these things are flying around in the middle of nowhere. Um, Yeah, essentially, um, it's, it's, as we we said, just as we went into the the break, uh, it's it's either they don't want to be recognized, they don't want to be seen, or they want to fly in areas where they feel safe to do whatever it is they're here to do.
0: Uh, uh, Bill had (laughs) asked about the... Bill had asked about intimidation by the government, as was reported at Roswell. Anything beyond the MIB types coming to your friends' uh, home and asking for their stuff back? Has there been anyone that's told to shut up or else kind of thing?
1: No, no. I mean, uh, you've got to remember over here, we're terribly British. You know, we don't kind of do that sort of thing over here, don't you know? Uh, (laughs) Hmm. You know, so uh, I think after that first visit, that was it. Um, uh, Also, the, the population here are quite sort of respectful. So if something starts to disappear and it starts to be covered up, most people do tend to sort of go along with that. Um, To the best of my knowledge, nobody's intimidated uh, Irwell, Gary was the only person to get that visit. Uh, I've gone public, I've gone on record and done a documentary on it, and I've certainly had no visits and I don't think they plan to come and see me anytime soon. Um, It would just be nice, though, you know, for somebody to come along and say... Yes, I work for the military, and we know exactly what that is, and, you know, boom, boom, disclose. Um, That would be nice. That's the sort of visit we'd like to get, you know. Um, But no, 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 nobody's been intimidated as far as I know thus far, apart from that one visit where they came to get the material back.
0: Bill, anything else?
1: George, Mark
3: was about to describe the uh, British media treatment of, of this case.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Yeah, um, the actual ordinary media, the the sort of official people like The Times and, you know, uh, Independent and all that sort of people, uh, they haven't really covered this particular case, although it has been noticeable that they have been covering things happening over in the US. Um, So in terms of profile, I think the whole UFO um, situation has risen in the eyes of the straightforward um, press and news media. Um, but like I said, the Sun. The Sun is somewhere in the middle. It's not. Um, it's not sort of low grade tabloid. It's kind of high grade tabloid, if you can have such a thing. Um, so they're about the best of that particular bunch, and they did a, a really magnificent job of covering it. Um, they did a, a sort of informal interview with me, and they, they did a, a stitch together for YouTube, uh, which is out there, which I thought was quite nice. It was quite respectably done. Um, and they're taking it seriously, you know, um, rightly so. You know, we've got fragments of something here that's hard evidence. You know, it's proper it's proper scientific stuff. So, um, yeah, I think generally speaking, the, the, both the tabloids and the regular media and those in between are taking it quite seriously here in the UK um, and following what's happening in the U.S.
0: Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. Uh, what about, uh, Mark, what about BBC?
1: Oh gosh, now you now you're talking. Uh, <laughs> um not really is the answer. Uh, not really. The BBC are not really picking up on this. Um you know, I've not seen anything um on television or online uh, to cover this by the BBC. Um and I, knowing the way that we work in this country, it's doubtful that they would pick up on it really as a subject. Um but should that ever happen, you'll be the first to know. I'll be quite surprised.
0: <laughs> We're going to Wayne in Tacoma. Hi, Wayne. What's on your mind?
4: Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, yes, I'm trying to get the pronunciation of the metal he talked about, the exotic metal. You know, I know ruthium and osmium and cesium and a lot of those. But it, uh, I'm just not getting the pronunciation because I've got a machinist's handbook that lists every metal that's known, and I, like, I'm not finding it.
1: Okay, it's it's lanthanum, and I'll spell it for you. Or lanthanum. You might get it as actually. lanthanum, actually. L a n t h a n u m, and it's on the lower part of the periodic table. So it's not on the main body of the periodic table. It's the new exotic elements. There's two bars added at the bottom of the periodic table, um, and I thought people would have trouble locating it. So I've actually put the periodic um, table entries in the book. It's the lanthanide series um, of metals, and it's the primary material at the front end of that series. Um, Yeah, and the analysis, like I say, is in the book. So that's what you're looking for, um, lanthium or lanthanum.
0: uh, And it says in the book, it says lanthanum is made up of two isotopes. One is stable and one uh, other one that's less so. Thanks for the call, Wayne. East of the Rockies, Brian in Indianapolis. Hi, Brian.
2: Hey, George. Good morning. How are you?
0: Good. What's on your mind?
2: Hey, I, I was wondering uh, if uh, Mark, and maybe you could help shed some light on this after I asked the question, that Linda Moulton Howe had a piece of, I believe, crashed uh, wreckage from Roswell. And I wonder if Mark had ever thought about or has uh, thought about trying to uh, compare notes and compare what the results were from his material from the material that Linda Moulton Howe had. And maybe you know what her result is, George. I don't know. I can't remember. I remember seeing it on 18 Aliens that she had a piece. She showed it to Giorgio Suclos. So
0: yeah, I and I think she to... shared it with Art Bell, too, Arts Parts. I think that's mm-hmm. the same material. But uh, there's been a, a variety of tests done on it. Uh, uh, Mark, do you know how it can compare to what you've got?
1: Yes. I'm aware of several things that have come off the Roswell site. Um, back in the 1990s, the National Geographic sent archaeologists on to the site to sieve the material that, that's left in the desert sands, and they came up with little tiny beads of metal. Um, And I think the result for that was that that was a form of exotic material. Uh, You've got the Linda Moulton Howe uh, piece, which, again, I think the result for that was exotic material as well, although I'm not exactly aware of the analysis for those two pieces of metal. But the biggest shock we got was shortly before we released the book. I mean, we're talking within weeks uh, of us re- before we released the book, a metal detectorist on uh, Roswell, this is absolutely new, I believe, came up with a piece of metal foil. And the metal foil that uh, he sent us a photograph, we had one photo of this material, again, not analysed, but visually it's an exact match to the foil that we got off the crash site here. Um, so it's of no surprise whatsoever to me, certainly, if the material turns out to be extraordinarily similar. Um, but that foil was the clincher for me. Um, seeing the piece that he got, this hexagonal, hoodie coned. Um, like tin foil stuff that he'd found on Roswell, it's identical. It's exactly the same stuff we got off off the one here in Wales. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's almost certainly going to be a crossover in terms of material. Um, if I get any opportunity to compare anything with Linda's sample, I'd, I'd be very glad to do so. Uh, no doubt I will run across her at some point in the course of uh, being part of the Ancient Aliens team. Um, but we, that's the next step. As I said earlier on in the interview, there is more to do here. There is definitely more work to do here.
0: Uh, thank you, Brian. Appreciate the call. West of the Rockies, Andy in Bakersfield. Good morning, Andy.
1: Good
2: morning. Thank you for taking my call. And happy birthday, Willie Nelson.
0: Hey, happy that's happy good. Birthday. Good one. Yeah. Um, What's a-
2: I, too, had an incident that happened 40 years ago when I was camping at the Kern River in, near Bakersfield. A uh, stealth fighter crashed there, and I had taken pictures of it as it plummeted to the ground. And anyway, we ended up being on every paper in the world, on page me and my son. He was six years old, and uh, they did a big, big huge story on it, not claiming that it was a, 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 a stealth fighter that crashed till you know maybe a week later. But a lot of people thought it was uh, some type of UFO that crashed there.
0: What was the first cover story that came out? They didn't call it a stealth right off the bat. What they say it was?
2: They didn't. They just said witness tales of hush hush aircraft. <laughs> and so and I got uh, I go got newspaper. I saved all the newspaper clippings for because I planned oh. on you know writing something about it somewhere.
0: Well, no time like the present, Andy. I'd love to see what you write about it. It is interesting. He saw, you know, what turned out to be a, a really secretive airplane, uh, super advanced. Uh, Mark, do you suspect that, that that could be the explanation for the pieces that you guys have?
1: Well, I was, I was just thinking then, actually, that is a massive step forward from them claiming that it's marsh gas or weather balloons or, you know, whatever else, at least in that particular incident, they came forward and said, yes, this is what it is. Um I personally would hope that somebody somewhere is going to do the same thing with this, um, but again, that doesn't completely answer the question as to, you know, what this stuff's capable of. Where did it originate? You know, is it ours? Is it back engineered, or is it theirs? Uh, you know, is it truly alien? Uh, which is why we've actually stuck right from day one in calling this unidentified flying object. Uh, it is literally a UFO, you know. It's unidentified until we know otherwise, you know. Um, uh, that's So, yeah, basic, basically, I mean, hats off to him for, you know, going public with what he saw and hats off to them for coming forward and actually saying, well, this is what we think it is. Uh, in this particular instance, at the moment, I have to say the jury's out. It's a complete mystery. We have absolutely no idea what this, what this debris is. Um, in truth, that's where we're at.
0: Andy, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. That would be uh, an amazing thing to have witnessed in person. And, you know, that crash in particular, they came clean about it eventually. But I know that there have been other crashes of advanced uh, platforms and planes where the public was totally lied to. The cover stories were uh, persisted for years. But thanks for the call. First time caller Paul in Massachusetts. Good morning, Paul.
4: Uh, Good morning, George. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling about an article that was in the Daily Mail, and this is a very bizarre incident. Uh, I'd like to know if your guest knows more about it. It didn't give much in the way of details as far as when this happened or where it happened. But according to the article, a whistleblower came forward and talked about a a crashed disk that was found by this team of uh, recovery people. The disc was approximately 30 feet in diameter, round, and it was embedded in the ground. And according to this whistleblower, one of the team found a hatch or an entrance way into this disc, and he climbed inside the thing, and he became very disoriented because when he climbed inside of it, as far as he could tell the way it looked to him, the thing was the size of a dome football stadium. And... Um, He was in there for, according to the whistleblower, maybe the person that entered the craft was about in there for a few minutes. And then when he came out, because he got very disoriented for some reason, uh, the team that had been waiting outside said he had been in there for a couple of hours. So, I mean, this is the most amazing thing. Like I said, the article was in the Daily Mail by a reporter by the name of uh, Josh Boswell. And it also claims that the whistleblower contacted a lawyer by the name of Dan Sheehan. And, I, you know, it just didn't give many more um, details. Um,
0: well, it sounds I, like uh, Dan, Dan Sheehan represents a number of well-known whistleblowers, has interacted with Lou Elizondo and represented him. He is also, I think, uh, there's some contact with uh, David Grush, who's the whistleblower that came forward and testified in front of Congress. Does that Daily Mail article mention the location of the crash?
4: No, that's the problem. It doesn't. All I can tell you is the date of the article was um, June 10th of this year, and the reporter was Josh
0: Boswell. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's been covering UFO stuff for a while. Does this ring a bell, Mark?
1: Well, I'm not aware of that specific article, but I am aware of A number of, shall we say, apocryphal tales uh, that run to a very similar uh, formula, very similar story. I mean, I do mention one actually in in the book. I had a friend who was in the the military over here. He was a a junior and he joined the army of all things um, as a, a computer programmer. So he wasn't a sort of in the field person but as soon as he got access you know as a junior to a, a military terminal he was off he was hacking the vatican website he was you know trying to find out if some flying sources anywhere anyway he came back to me one day and he just said you, you're not going to believe this but i've I found a disc a flying disc in storage um in a hangar you know somewhere down south now i, I would take his word because i knew him personally you know i knew him as, as an individual but again details you know the exact location you know etc cetera, etc cetera, are very very sparse on details um and i've had at least one other website as well uh, take the story i've got the europe's roswell story and push it a step further to say that you know there was actually a disc sticking out of the forest you know with alien bodies hanging out well that's clearly not true so i do mention that without saying what website it is i mentioned that in the book uh, but that's not us that's not our story um and again, anything that's thin on detail, uh, I, I am slightly suspicious of that, um, because there is always the chance that it could just be disinformation. Uh, but if you guys actually know the journalist and you know the people, the, the lawyer and the people concerned, I would take that as, uh, you know, as, as a good recommendation that there is possibly some truth in this. Certainly somebody somewhere has got them. Somebody knows about them. Um, right. So, yeah. Uh, but that particular specific article, no, it's not It's not one I've run across recently.
0: Paul, I would add this, is that the stories about uh, people who go into these ships, abductees, contactees who claim to have been on board them, uh, they've commonly said that it's way bigger inside than it could possibly look like outside. And they've also said that they've had missing hours, missing time, time distortion. Those stories uh, and accounts are fairly common. But thanks for the call. Uh, Mark, uh, Ali, I really enjoyed the book, and uh, I wish you luck. I hope there's some additional uh, testing on the material. I was just curious, you know, Philip Mantle has been my guest on this program and and a lot of other guests from the U.K., from Scotland and Wales and and, uh, all over uh, Ireland. And it seems like, to me, the impression I get is the whole place is haunted. (laughs) There have been UFOs and cryptid creatures and crop circles, abductions, mutilations, things. dating back hundreds of years is this particular part of wales uh, a, a site for a lot of other strange activity and we've got about 30 seconds left
1: yes absolutely very easy to answer that yes um there's a big conference coming up in february this year called awakening um and that's based up in uh in bolton uh if you check the media for details right. and all we're right. going to cover all of those subjects um, Excellent. yeah absolutely and thank you enjoyed- for having me
0: Absolutely. It was a great fun. I hope you have it again. Uh, Europe's Roswell, 40 years since the impact is a good read and I hope people will check it out. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thanks also to my earlier guest, Kim Cross, in light of all darkness, excellent stuff. And uh, to you and your family, our coast family uh, all over the place, uh, happy holidays, uh, Merry Christmas, Feliz Navidad, Happy New Year to my friends there, Michael Cosio and Donna Walker, our webmaster, Jeremy Wells, Dan Galani, Chris Boros, Lisa Lyon, Tom Eiser, and of course, George Norrie. Uh, happy holidays to all those folks as well. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Good night.